Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Have you ever noticed that almost all of the crises that we are told are happening have very expensive solutions? It wasn't that long ago here in the Pacific Northwest uh, that the lumber industry was completely devastated by a owl called the spotted owl. And the spotted owl is a species of owl that all of the scientists and all the settled science said that could only nest in old growth timber and timber that hadn't been ever cut down and, and, and touched by human hands. This completely devastated the lumber industry because uh, the government went ahead and closed off so much of the land here in the Pacific Northwest to the lumber industry. And it was all because of this endangered species, the spotted owl. Now, obviously, this was a just an absolute fallacy when it came to the science of it because they found spotted owls actually nesting in Kmart signs. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that didn't matter. It, 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 that, that was not something that mattered at all. What mattered was that these environmentalists could go in and completely devastate the lumber industry based off of just this man-made crisis that wasn't really a crisis at all. Now, all you have to do to understand many of these crises is to follow the money. I mean, it is almost never about the proposed problem at all. Like for instance, this was never about the spotted owl at all. It is just a, a vehicle that is used to further an agenda and, and really, and make a lot of money. When you start looking into the facts, the science, and those pushing the solutions, you see all kinds of problems and hypocrisies. Let me give you an example. Investors.com reports of an inconvenient truth. In an interview, Al Gore claimed that the, the lives um, that, that, he, that, that he and his family live, they live a carbon-free lifestyle, as he put it. Now, the electricity bills for his home in, in Tennessee say otherwise. CNN's Jake Tapper actually asked Al Gore uh, to respond to charges that he's a, a climate hypocrite. He said, quote, uh, this is a criticism we hear from conservatives all the time when talking about people like you or Elon Musk or Leonardo DiCaprio. Tapper said that you yourself have a, a large carbon footprint. And Gore's response was, quote, well, I don't have a private jet. <laughs> and, and what carbon emissions come from my, my trips on Southwest Airlines are offset. I, I live a carbon-free lifestyle to the maximum extent possible. <laughs> maximum extent possible. Really? Then... How does Gore explain the rather large amounts of electricity that he uses to power his, get this, 10,000 plus square foot home? 
he has a 10,000 plus square foot home. Well, a new analysis of this particular home by the National Center of Public Policy Research found that Gore's Tennessee home guzzles more electricity in one year than the average American family uses in 21 years. So he uses he uses enough energy in one year that an average family would use in 21 years. In, in, in one month, just a, a, a couple of years ago, the report found that Gore's home consumed more electricity than the average family uses in 34 months. The electricity used to heat Gore's swimming pool, just his swimming pool, we're not talking about his home now. The electricity used to heat Al Gore's swimming pool would power six homes for a year. And this is, all of this is is after Gore spent tens of thousands of dollars installing, quote, green upgrades, which he was, of course, embarrassed to have to do. Um, but he had to do them because obviously there was some light being shined upon, uh, this, this, his, his energy use just a little over a decade ago. In fact, according to the NCPPR report, Gore's home used more electricity last year than it did in 2007 before he installed all of those energy reducing features. The former vice president, who who boasted a net worth of 1.7 million, um, which mostly came from family farm assets, uh, when he ran for president in 2000, that expanded to a personal fortune to upwards of 200 million by 2017. Did you hear what I said? When he ran for president, he said his net worth was 1.7 million, which is, yeah, I mean, that's, that's doing pretty good, right? But in just 17 years, he went from 1.7 million to over 200 million, and obviously even more today. It looks like the global warming business is doing really well, don't you think? I mean, I think. We might all be in the wrong business, right, at this point. We hear a lot of climate change type of propaganda. I mean, and, and, and when I say climate change, obviously that's a phrase that's even changed in itself from what started out as global warming. And you, they couldn't say, well, the, the earth is warming so much, so we can't really say it's global warming that we're fighting. We're just, we're, we're fighting climate change. That, that's a much broader term. It, it is talked about by politicians, by entertainers, school teachers, as if it were a proven thing. Now, realclearmarkets.com reports that President Biden implores us that climate change is an ex- existential threat. To humanity. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, I'd, I'd like to have that title, Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry <laughs> preaches to us that the climate crisis is a whole, as a whole, is a natural national security threat because it is 
disruptive to the daily lives of human beings all over the world. That's how he put it. It is a national security threat because it it disrupts people's lives all over the world. Now, Congresswoman, not to be left out, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez warns us that in 2030, which of course, what, is nine years away, eight, just a little over eight maybe, the world is going to end if we don't address climate change. That's, that, she says that's settled science. That's, that's a fact. We can't even talk about it. We can't debate about it. That's just a fact that the world is going to end in just a little over eight years if we don't address climate change. Now, hold on to your wallets, right? The left's global warming chicken littles insist that the sky is falling, but don't want you to know six key facts. So let's let's go through these facts. Number one, in his new book, Unsettled, Obama Administration Department of Energy Chief Scientist Stephen Koonin shows that the models relied upon by the left to predict the future global warming are so poor that they cannot even reduce the temperature changes in, in uh, reproduce the temperature changes uh, in the 20th century. So basically what he's saying is that if you try to get these models to tell you what the temperature would be, let's say five years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. They can't do that. Even though we know, I mean, obviously we know what they were, but if you were trying to get them to predict it and all that, they can't do it. They're so poor. They can't even do what we already know has happened. That's a problem. So if you, if, if these models cannot reproduce past temperatures already known, when the models were developed, how, how can they possibly reliably predict temperatures decades into the future? A second, now Kudin's book also documents that the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's own analysis indicates that, that any negative economic impact that global warming eventually may have will be so modest that it warrants no action. Did you hear that? That the, the International Panel on Climate Change, their own analysis indicates that, that the, the economic impact is, is, is so negligible that we, we, we shouldn't take any action on it. There's no reason to. All right, now third, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the UN's IPPC do not claim that a link has been established between global warming and natural disasters. But how many times, how many times have you heard, I mean, you, you just heard the President of the United States not that long ago say, boy, these, this, these natural disasters, they're because of climate change. How many times have you heard a politician say, as soon as something happens, this is because of climate change? How many times have you heard the news say all of this this stuff that that's happening that that's a that's destructive and 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 weather related? It's because of climate change, and this is being taught to children in schools, saying that this whole thing is settled science, 
that climate change is a real thing and all of these 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 events these natural disasters are because of climate change this is a fallacy the national oceanic and atmospheric administration as well as the un have never linked or even claimed to link that together now in 2020 the noaa noaa states that it is premature to con- conclude with high confidence that increasing atmospheric greenhouse gases con- and, and concentrations from human activities have had a detectable impact on Atlantic Basin hurricane activity. And changes in tropical cy- cyclone activity are not yet detectable. You see, they're saying right out that there's no link there. There's no way we can link the two unless you're a politician who's just trying to prove a point, right? The UN IPPC said to the Wall Street Journal that, quote, says that that it, it too lacks evidence to show that global warming is making storms and flooding worse. There's just no evidence. There's nothing there. There's no link whatsoever. And fourth, As the Earth's temperature has risen, natural disasters have become far less deadly. Did you know that? So these these natural disasters that are happening because of climate change um, have become far less deadly, and that's a problem for them. Since 1920, the planet's temperature has risen by a grand total of 1.29 degrees Celsius. And would population has has quadrupled from less than two billion to over seven and a half billion. The International Disaster Database reports that the number of people killed by natural disasters has declined by over eighty percent, from almost five hundred and fifty thousand per year to less than a hundred thousand per year. Now, that's a problem if you are on this bandwagon of global warming. And fifth, some of the world's best scientists believe that global warming will be beneficial rather than harmful. Hmm, that's a problem, right? In in 2017, a group of scientists uh, such as uh, Richard uh, Lindzen uh, of the of, of MIT and William Happer of the, of Princeton wrote that observations over the last 25 years show that warming from increased atmospheric CO2 will be benign. Will be benign. Carbon dioxide, they noted, is not a pollutant, but a major benefit to agriculture and other life on earth. And that's true. We have CO2 all around us and it has a purpose. All right. Sixth. Six is global warming saves lives. A study published in in 2015 by the British uh, medical journal, uh, the, the Lancet, found that cold kills over 17 times more people than heat. This study by 22 scientists from around the world, examined 
uh, over 74 million deaths in Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, Italy, Japan, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, uh, Thailand, um, Taiwan, and the UK, as well as, of course, the United States. And in 1985 through 2012, the largest database ever collected to assess temperature and, and health associations reported that cold caused 7.29% of these deaths, while heat caused only 0.42%. So less than a half a percent was for heat, whereas almost 7.5% was uh, caused by cold. Now, small changes in, in temperature matter. Uh, moderately hot and cold temperatures cause you know, 88.85% of the temperature-related deaths, while extreme temperatures cause only 11, a little over 11%. But we must not let the left bully us into draconian action with unfounded claims of looming climate catastrophes. Know, know the facts. Global warming is not a problem. But our politicians love to spend our money on these made-up crises, especially when that money goes directly to them and their families and friends. A great example of this was Obama's friends at uh, Solyndra. This Solyndra was uh, the, the solar manufacturer down in California that President Obama gave government subsidies of taxpayer dollars totaling, get this, $535 million in federally guaranteed loans. Now, what happened right after this? This was, like, this was a part of the, his stimulus plan when he first got in as president. And he gave $535 million in federally guaranteed loans to Solyndra and his friends there. And immediately after getting this bailout, they closed their doors and went out of business. So what we see time after time is a made-up crisis and then a and very expensive solutions from the, these opportunistic leftists. And they, they use these crises to get what they want. If they want certain legislation, if they want uh, federal dollars or, or state dollars or whatever, then they, it, you have to make up these crises. The, the latest example of this, as reported by uh, businessinsider.com, says that framed by a backdrop of volcanoes and semicircle, a, a semicircle of gigantic fans in, in Iceland are sucking in air. Can you, can you imagine these things? So you ha- you're in Iceland and you come across this facility that has kind of like, it's kind of like a giant semicircle of fans and they're sucking in air, they're superheating it and then filtering out the carbon dioxide. (laughs) This, this carbon capture and storage facility is named Orca. Don't ask me why, I, I don't know how they came up with the name. But it turned on about two or three weeks ago after more than 18 months uh, of construction. So they've been working on this for a little while. The fans are embedded in in shipping containers 
uh, and and they're they're not not containers themselves, but they're they're kind of that that same size box. And once the the carbon dioxide is separated, it gets mixed with water and then travels through snaking fat tubes deep underground where the carbon then cools and solidifies and, and that's where it's supposed to stay. Now, through this process, Orca can trap and, and sequester 4,000, they say, metric tons of carbon dioxide per year. And you may say, wow, 4,000 tons of carbon dioxide per year. That, that sounds really good. And, and this, this is definitely making it the largest facility of its kind in the world, they say. Though, when you look into it a little bit closer, there currently are only two running. <laughs> so you can say, hey, I'm second in this race, and there's only two of us. All right. Quote, think of it like a vacuum cleaner for the atmosphere. This was something that that uh, Julio Friedman, an, an energy policy researcher uh, at Columbia University who attended the plant's ribbon-cutting ceremony, told the insider, quote, nothing else can do what this tech does. He is all for this thing. According to the latest report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPC, carbon capture and storage is a necessary part of our best case climate scenarios. So this thing is supposed to be necessary, but currently facilities like Orca only negate a sliver of the global emissions. Now this is where the rub comes in. Climate scientist Peter Kalmus has, has done the math and this is what he said, quote, if it works in one year, it will capture three seconds worth of humanity's CO2 emissions. This is what he wrote on Twitter. Put it another way. He said, at any given moment, it will capture one, one, ten, one ten millionth of humanity's current emissions. That's what this plant will do. So, I mean, I did some math. I can do I can do math too, especially with a calculator, right? <laughs> so there are three, 31,536,000 seconds in a year. So about 31.5 million seconds in in a year. So that means that it would take 10,512,000 of these plants to take out all the human-made CO2. Now, we're just talking about human-made CO2. And we're not talking about like the volcano that just blew up yesterday in, in Hawaii. We're not talking about a- a- any of the non-man-made CO2 producers. We're not talking about cow farts. We're talking about just simply human-made CO2 you would need 10 and a half million of these facilities to take out all of just the human-made CO2. Quote, it's remarkable to me that it's being considered as part of those plans, he said in this report. The Orca facility works differently than the carbon-captured facilities uh, built into some power plants, steel mills, and industrial facilities. Those collect the carbon produced in the manufacturing process before it enters the air. It can then be 
converted into materials like concrete or stored underground. More than 20 facilities worldwide, worldwide currently do this, most of which are in the U.S. Oh, well, <laughs> I thought we were the ones that, you know, were polluting the earth and, and making us all die. But no, obviously, most of them are in the U.S. But that simply prevents more carbon from accumulating in the atmosphere. Orca, by contrast, is an attempt to deal with the greenhouse gases that already are up there. This technology, known as direct air capture, is in its infancy. The Swiss, Swiss company Chimeworks, which built Orca, uh, has the only operational game in town. Its, it, its other plant is in Switzerland. And before that, the technology had only been used in, in really small scale, like on, on spacecrafts and marine, uh, submarines and things like that. Two other plants are in the planning phases. The Canadian company Carbon Engineering, which is backed by Bill Gates, by the way, uh, started designing a similar facility in uh, northeastern Scotland three months ago. And it has plans to start construction on a plant in Texas next year. Now, each of these facilities would remove up to 25 times more carbon uh, per year than the Orca one. But as with many emerging technologies, direct air capture is expensive. Christoph Gibald, uh, which is the, the, this, this Climeworks co-founder, told the uh, Washington Post that it costs at least $600 to capture one metric ton of carbon dioxide, which superheating the air takes a lot of energy. So, so what we're talking about here is we're talking about running one of these orcas is going to cost $2.4 million a year. If, if it's at full production, if it's at the, the 400 metric tons a, a year and it's $600 to capture just one, we're talking about $2.4 million a year. That cost would need to drop to one-fourth its current level to bring it in line with technologies like wind and solar in terms of their carbon abatement. The, the degree to which they reduce the emissions is what that is. To sell carbon commercially, like in beverage companies to make the fizzy drinks and things, uh, this price would have to get even lower, probably between $65 and 110 or so per metric ton. Or we could just stop drinking fizzy drinks, right? I mean, is, that, is that what they're, they're uh, going to shoot for us next, right? Friedman thinks a, a drop to below 200 is likely by 2030, and a drop to $100 to uh, two decades after that. Now, wait a minute. To, that doesn't make any sense. I thought the world was ending in 2030. Anyway, I, I digress. By that point, he says, this Friedman, the market for carbon removal companies paying and abating their emissions will have grown significantly. But even at the $100 price, removing all of humanity uh, annual carbon emissions would cost more than $5 trillion a year, according to Gates' book, How to Avoid the Climate Disaster. That would require 50,000 orca plants just for that alone. 
It's probably the most expensive solution, Gates wrote. <laughs> How could it not be? There's also the question of timing. The IPCC report says that without capturing significant amounts of carbon over the next 30 years, it will be impossible to get humanity to net zero emissions by 2050 and consequently to limit war- warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. <laughs> and, and according to AOC and the others, again, we only have till 2030 to save the earth. But Matthew Barlow, a, a, a climate scientist at the University of Massachusetts, uh, Lowell, said that three decades isn't enough for the technology to be deployed widely. There, There's no possible way for it to scale up on a timely fashion. Uh, fossil fuel companies love carbon capture, he says. And plants like, like orca do, however, outperform natural uh, counterparts like trees, right? I mean, isn't this what trees do? And he even said, he said, the orca facility does the work of 200,000 trees in a thousand times less space. That's more than a facility like like this stores its carbon. It's it's locked away. If trees burn, the carbon then uh, is released. But trees capture carbon at a lower cost, $50 per metric ton. $50 per metric ton? Trees cost about 25 cents. And, and if you log them and replant them, they they produce a lot of money. So I don't know where he's getting this $50 per metric ton for, for a tree, but anyway... Yeah. Um, Calmus thinks that, that thinks carbon capture ultimately distracts the world from, from other solutions and he's not, he's not about it, but we, we know now that, that we can do it. Friedman said, we know that, that, that we're just, uh, hangling over price and literally asking how much we're willing to pay to save the earth. Well, first of all, this is not saving the earth from anything since man-made global warming isn't a thing. And second of all, about 60% of the electricity generated from fossil fuels is the, the, the electricity being, being generated is, in, is from fossil fuels. This puts CO2 in the air. The real question is how much energy does this facility take in to heat up all that air? And third, how much energy did it take to build the facility in the first place? This facility took a lot of energy to build. They said that it took 18 months to build this thing. So all of that, all, all of the, the, the big tractors and, and all the diesel it took for that and, and, and everything that went into the facility itself. I mean, it's made of steel and, and, and uh, plastics and all of this stuff. It took a lot of energy to make this facility. And that's CO2 going into the air, if you're concerned about that. And as you can see, these kinds of solutions make absolutely no sense in in trying to solve a non-existent problem. This is a non-existent problem that we're trying to find very expensive solutions for. They are very expensive, and they take a lot of sacrifice for nothing. Now, you can agree with me and you can disagree with me. I would definitely love to hear from you on this because none of this makes any logical sense whatsoever. And I would love to talk with you about it. You can do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. And thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.